Welcome to Redemption Parker. If you have a Bible, you can begin to work your way to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're at. Uh, we're in our series of faithfulness in a foreign land. Uh, this is just our, our way of going through the books of the Bible together. We went through uh, the book of 1 Peter. This is week 9, uh, and it is our final week. So if you're just joining us, you're catching the very tail end uh, of what, what Peter's had to say through us by the Spirit. And it's such a kindness of God that he would not only rescue and redeem us, but fill us with his spirit, uh, give us his word, condescend to reveal himself to us each week for our strength and our growth together, and to bind us together as a faith family. Uh, these things we take for granted, but uh, if you think about it, we didn't deserve any of them, and yet God is showering kindness on us right now, on us at this church, at Redemption Parker, and on his church on the planet right now. And so let's not take that for granted. Let's soak in his kindness a little bit today. I was thinking uh, before we get into this, eight years ago, you know how Facebook sometimes shows you like your timeline? So eight years ago, we were getting set to uh, go to the Czech Republic to be uh, church planners among uh, some of the least reached, most atheist country in the world. And so uh, in, the, in that process, we, um, we discovered a Czech couple. I don't even know how we met them, but uh, there was a, an elderly Czech couple that was living in Westminster, and uh, they were Christians, and they wanted to talk to us. And so we, we arranged for that to, to work, the, work itself out. We, we went up there, and they welcomed us in. And uh, one of the things about First Peter, he's, he's talking to a church on the margins. He's, he calls it in verse 1, uh, elect exiles. We are resident aliens. But if you've never spent time in another country or another culture, it's hard to feel what, what Peter is actually talking about in that moment. Uh, because when you're in a, a place that's not your home and, and you aren't totally comfortable, there are things that are sometimes funny and sometimes tragic that just begin to happen because you, you don't really belong there. And so this couple told us lots of stories of, of their time in the Czech Republic, but also their time coming to uh, America. And so uh, when they first got here in the uh, mid-60s, they had to flee communism uh, and the oppression that was going on there, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but, but they, they got to America, and they were settled in all places in the projects of Chicago. So, so these uh, very white Czechs are in Chicago. They, they don't speak the language. They don't know the culture. They're just trying to start their life. And, and they told us this story that one night uh, they get a knock on the door. And uh, they answer the door, and they don't speak the language, but there's some, some children there, and they're, they say they're, they're dressed kind of raggedly, and, and uh, just, they don't look good in there. And if you've ever been in another country and you don't speak the language, you eventually communicate by working out charades. And, and so the husband says, I, I think they're hungry. And so uh, she says, okay. She brings them in, into the house and starts making sandwiches and uh, feeds, and the kids take the sandwiches and kind of look at them strange and start eating their sandwiches. And they leave, and they're like, okay, that was weird. And so another knock on the door, and it's more kids. And, and like, I think these kids are hungry too. So they bring the kids in, and uh, they, they give them some sandwiches, and the kids thank them, and um, they, they go out, and then uh, knocks on the door again. Like something, and then they realize, as anyone who's lived in another culture or in a different place as a resident alien, like something's going on that we are not picking up right now. And, and so they didn't answer the door that time. They turned off their lights, and they, uh, throughout the night, uh, the knocks were coming on the door. 
And each time they would open the door, they would say something, but they didn't understand. They speak Czech. They would say, trick or treat. They thought they were hungry. They thought they were homeless kids in like, bag, like ragged clothes. That, that's just, they're like, we didn't know, right? I mean, I have lots of stories of actually living in the Czech Republic that are just like that. Like when I took my preschooler to Burning Witches Day and didn't know that. But that's another story that I've shared before. But, but So they would tell us these stories, but they also told us some, some tragic stories as well. After World War II and as the Soviets kind of took over the Eastern Bloc and as communism uh, rooted deeper and as atheism became the official state religion and um, they, the persecution began to break out against Christians, at first it just started as ostracization. Uh, you couldn't get a job. You didn't get into the right schools. Um, uh, but it, it started to ramp up in the 50s and early 60s so that this, this woman that was now an elderly woman, uh, she was saying her, her family were Christians and uh, her dad was a pastor and he would often get arrested and, and they didn't know when he would come, be, be able to come back and he couldn't get another job and uh, he couldn't get the, the benefits from the socialist government and all those things and uh, said one time that he was arrested. They didn't know when he'd come back. And, and, and so for the next two years, two years, they had to live in a tent in a backyard in Prague. No water, no electricity. Think camping in Minnesota for two years. No heat because their father, the Christian, he, he refused to renounce Christ and give up preaching the gospel. Now, now we know, we, we know that there's persecution. We, we read about it. We get the magazines or whatever. We, we know that there's ostracization. But, but it's something different when you, when you see the people and, and look in their eyes and hear the story and think, wow, this, this actually happens. In fact, Peter has been arguing that, uh, that this doesn't just happen occasionally, but that, that, that the Christian community, by and large, historically, globally, biblically, is a church on the margins of society. I was thinking of that book, some of you may have read it, uh, Nick Ripkin wrote it, uh, called uh, The Insanity of God. In it, he visits, uh, I think I have a copy of it, in it he visits uh, the, the persecuted church, kind of underground throughout the world uh, today, and uh, he interviews them and talks to them. And, and I remember at one point in the book, he is talking with um, the, these, these believers that have, have come together secretly and under threat of, uh, of oppression and being thrown in jail, and, and, he's just lament, and he starts to lament for them. Like, I'm so sorry, this, is so, this must be so tough. And he's like, I just want to pray for you. Like, that, that's what you would do. That's what I would do, right? But in the book, the, 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 one of the guys says something surprising. He says, no, no, don't pray for us that the persecution would go away. When did you stop believing your Bible, he said. Like, well, what are you talking about? He says, the Bible says that this is going to happen to followers of Jesus. Jesus said that, that if, you, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. Don't pray that it gets taken away. Our persecution identifies us as Christ's followers. Don't pray that that would go away. Which leads to the question, what identifies us as Christ followers? Well, we have comfortable chairs. And our services aren't too long. Um, so, some, some churches we can get together and we can choreograph the lights and the lasers and the fog machine. We're Christians. 
Um, if we don't like the, the style, whether the sermon or the preach, or if we don't like the other Christians, we can just go across the street or across the city. And, and I guess all that identifies us as Christians. But Peter is, is challenging us to say, no, that there is, there is far more at stake here than just comfortable Christianity. God is doing something, and he does his best work when the church is on the margins. And even culturally, as we get pushed there, that's not a bad thing. That is a thing where we will begin to become more and more identified with Jesus. And so, so what Peter has been getting at in, in his letter so far, just by way of summary, is to, to a church that's been scattered, a church that is facing persecution, to a church that will face intense persecution in the decades and centuries to come. He, he's saying, how is it that you will not only survive, but thrive on the margins of society and culture? And so he's been reminding them of who they are and whose they are. He's been saying things like, you are elect exiles in, in chapter 1. That, that means that God has chosen you, and even though you are exiles in this world, God has set his affections on you. He, he says some, something like this in verse uh, 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for actions. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. In chapter 2, he reminds us that we are a chosen race, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In chapter 3, he reminds us that all, we need to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have that is in us, but do this with gentleness and respect. Last week, Ryan reminded us uh, that when we do suffer, when we do face persecution, ostracization, he, he, in verse 19 of chapter 4, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In short, he, he's trying to give us a plan for our perseverance. Do, do you have a plan for your perseverance? Do, do you have a plan that... that that your faith is going to persist next year, 10 years from now? Because here's what I think. I think most of us presume upon our faith. We presume, oh yeah, we'll have faith next year. We presume in 10 years, we'll be walking with Jesus, of course. And that's a dangerous thing. The Bible is going to warn us time and time again, do not presume upon future faith. God is a God of ends as well as means. It is God's will that, that he, we will per persevere in the faith, but he has means for that as well. There are means to get there. And if we neglect the means, we should not expect to get there. And so he's been giving us some means. What's your plan to persevere? I mean, I've been a pastor 20 years. I've seen far too, too many people walk away from the faith. Sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes some tragedy strikes, a, a sickness, an illness, a, a death, and the person blames God, and they, they give up, and they go out. So sometimes it's, it's just some sin gets caught up in their life, and, and they, they blow up their marriage and their family and their faith. Sometimes it's dramatic, but far, far, far more often, it's subtle. There's no plan to persevere. It's, you know, I, I'm just kind of busy in this season of my life. I've got this work thing that's going on. After that, then, then I'll, I'll pursue God's means. 
You know, I'm just trying to be a good parent, and my kids are getting to that age where if I'm going to be a good parent, I've got to make sure they have every exposure to every sport and activity and art, and and just just got to go all in on that. But when when they're done, I'll come back, I I promise. You know, I just need some me time right now. Or actually, I'm just kind of an introvert, so I don't don't really need to be around people. I, I don't need the church. In fact, I've got a church. It's a podcast. This guy's the best preacher ever. I was just podcast church. And I got Caleb, so I'm good. The combination, right? Wrong. What's your plan? Persevere. And this is what Peter's been getting at. He's been trying to get us to have a plan. But if that's Peter's point, if that's his emphasis, so, so he's coming to the end, and it's the last message. What do you think his crescendo is going to be? What, what do you think the, the big idea, what do you think it's going to be that, hey, hey, this is the plan? He does have a crescendo, but it's simple, and it's kind of unsuspecting. But, but I, I've found in uh, being a pastor for 20 years now, this thing that Peter is going to show us is the number one indicator whether or not you will walk with Christ five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. It's not how much do you pray. It's not any of the spiritual disciplines. It's not how much do you give, how much do you serve. It's not all the the hyper-spiritual things that we could and and should do. This thing that Peter is going to uh, point us to, at first it's going to be like, well, that's kind of obvious, but it is the thing that makes us persevere. And it's simply this. In short, together we will endure. Together we will endure we endure. So you want to have a plan to to walk faithfully with Jesus? You want to have a plan for your kids to walk faithfully with Jesus? I mean, the studies show you you want to hand off to the next generation a, 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 a vibrant faith? Commit to doing life together. Commit to your local church. Commit to putting them in an environment where they are with multiple generations of people worshiping and praising God. Together, we will endure. So let's look at it together here in chapter 5. I'll pick it up in verse 1. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, you might be thinking, well, how does that what does that have to do with together? What does that have to do with the church? It actually has to do with an, an assumption and an expectation that is built into the New Testament. And the assumption and the expectation is that every follower of Jesus would be, have their life tied into a covenant kind of way uh, into the local body of a specific body of Christ with local elders, local leadership, local... You say, well, where's the verse for that? It is so inherent in the expectation of the New Testament writers that there actually is not a verse for that. It's like breathing and your heart beating. You don't tell your heart to beat. It just happens. It would be wildly, um, really offensive to the New Testament authors to to think of a a New Testament Christianity in America that just says, I'll bail whenever things get uncomfortable for me, or I don't like it, or or, I'm just, it's just unthinkable. They're like, "What, what are you talking about? It is the New Testament expectation that we would be in life together, and to not be is to be in disobedience. And so uh, he talks to, he addresses elders, and he notice what he says. He says, elders among you, so he's talking about a specific 
people in a specific place at a specific time. And then in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So, so he's talking about there is this relationship in the church. There's different roles in the church. There's elders, there's members, and, and they are to live life together in a specific context. And if there is no local context, then what does this mean for us? Well, let me look at another passage. Similarly, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews is also writing to persecuted Christians, encouraging them to endure. And in chapter seven or 13, it says, verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Down to 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Again, we, we don't like that. But then it goes on. For they are keeping watch over your souls. And this next line is what keeps the elders up at night, as those who will have to give an account, as those that will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That there is this idea that elders will give an account. Jesus is going to come to me someday in all of his glory, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's going to say, what did you do with my bride? I shed my blood for her. How did you treat her? How did you point her to me? So I, I will give an account. But if there's no local contest, who, who do I give an account for? Right? Like uh, when I turn on the TV and I see those health, wealth, uh, prosperity clowns on TV, do I have to give an account for their people? No, I don't. Or let's just bring it a little bit closer. What if uh, the, the elders from... Uh, Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church, which we agree with like 95% of things, what if they came to our church and said, hey, we're elders, local church, we're elders, uh, we, we just saw that you need to start baptizing infants. Do, do, do we have to obey that? Do we have to submit to that? No. Well, well what about uh, this afternoon when you go home and your doorbell rings and you forget to check the ring and see who's at the door and, and, and it opens up and it's like two 12-year-olds in white sleeves t-shirts, and it says Elder Jimmy on it. I mean, it says Elder Jimmy. That's Mormons, in case you're not picking up what I'm putting down. And you just, you're like, man, you don't shave. Like, what are you, why are you the elder? Uh, do I have to submit to that elder? No. Or how about when I, when I go preach at another church or a conference or a men's conference, like, will I give an account for that church? Well, I think I'll give an account for, did I, did I represent the truth? Did I speak the truth in that moment? But ultimately, that's not who I'll give an account for. If there's no local context, who do I give an account to? So, so we've searched the Scripture. This is why we have covenant membership. We, we believe we give an account to those that are committed to the local church. They say, this is my body. I'm all in. And with all of its warts and all of its mess-ups, there, there are no perfect churches and I always say, if you find one, don't go there. You'll mess up its record because of your record. And so we, we'll give an account. We'll, we will stand before the living God and say, here's what we did. Here's how we shepherded them. And so Peter says to the elders, be careful. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you in your local specific context. And then he gives kind of three warnings and three instructions to elders. It says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, so this is, no, no one's being forced to be an elder around here. Like one of the first criteria is you, you got to want to do it. And, and Peter is writing to, P, 
people and, and elders that, that know they're, they're going to be the first to die in this context. You're going to stand up as a church. It's like my, our Czech friends, the pastor dad who's in jail for two years because he's the elder. So Peter's like, hey, don't do this if you can't do this. You don't have to do this, but not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So even in the first century, as, as they began to pay their elders, uh, there was a temptation to, to twist the word. Paul says to Timothy, a day is coming where they're going to uh, only tickle the ears of people so that, that, that they'll, they'll get more money out of them. And so it shouldn't be for shameful gain, but eagerly. And not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. Again, maybe you have come from or you've experienced a church where, where the elders are just heavy-handed and domineering and, and just kind of crush the spirit of the church. He says, that's not how you're supposed to do this. Rather, you're supposed to be a, an example to the flock. As, as Paul will say, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what elders should, should be. like. We should look at their lives and say, hey, that's what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. And in verse 4, he reminds us what this is ultimately all about. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. So everyone else, every other elder, every other pastor is an under-shepherd. We're underlings. And our whole goal, we've done our job when we help, help love, care for, feed, protect the flock, and point them to the chief shepherd. That's the whole goal. That you would follow, love, and, and, and obey Jesus. If, if I've done that, I've done my job, I can stand before God. This is why celebrity Christianity and celebrity pastors are insane. It makes no sense. He's the chief shepherd. I don't care about your preacher sneakers, although mine are nice. I'm just saying, like, it's, 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 it is a dangerous thing to be on a stage. It's a dangerous thing to say, hey, look at me, when, when our whole job, our whole goal is, look to Jesus. He's awesome. He's amazing. And, and insofar as you walk out of here and say, isn't Jesus amazing? I've done my job. And so, it's all about him. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That's just synonymous for, for the church. Uh, you who um, are the church, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Together we endure. So he, he goes on, he says, so you, you're in a local context. Verse 8, humble yourselves. This is uh, all in the plural. He's talking to the whole church now. Uh, we humble ourselves toward one another, Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you, lift us up, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for us, for you, plural, y'all. Casting all your, man, that's a whole another sermon for another time. I love this picture, by the way. It means to hurl, to throw. Uh, it's not casting like fishing, like, hey, God, I've got this problem. I'm going to bring it back in my life. That's how we do a lot of our prayers, right? Like, I've got a problem, but I'm going to hold it. Here you go. I'll take it back. No, this is more like skipping rocks on a lake. Once that thing's gone, you're never seeing that thing again. And he says, you, you, can, you can do that with Jesus. You can do that because he cares for you. But again, that's a different sermon for a different time. Uh, verse 8 is what I wanted to look at here. Be sober-minded. This is the third time Peter has 
commanded us to be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter just points out, hey, the world, the flesh, and the devil do not want you to persevere in your faith. Even if you have a plan to persevere, that's not enough. There there are real things that are threatening your faith, your perseverance in the faith. And, And in this case, he says that there is an adversary seeking to destroy you. And that's really dangerous if you're on your own. In fact, uh, this is, uh, again, the point of the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3 this time, uh, I'll put it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 3 says this in verse 12. Take care. Same, Same language. Watch out. Be careful, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you, that's, that speaks a process, to fall away from the living God. So, so be careful. Don't presume upon your faith or your perseverance because your heart, the world, the flesh, and the devil wants to lead you away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another. This is speaking of community. Here's the plan. Here's the plan for your perseverance. Exhort one another. When? Every day. Every day? Yeah, as long as it's called today. Is today today? Yes, today is today. Tomorrow when we get there, it'll be called today and the next day. And it's this idea of covenant community in each other's lives every day that none of you may have a heart, be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The world, the flesh, and the devil promises you life but only gives you death. It is deceitful. And so the best way to not be self-deceived is to not do life all by yourself. See, none of us have eyes on the back of our heads. We can see what's coming at us, right? And that's not too hard, right? Like if I go to Safeway today and someone's like, hey, man, come over here. I'm like, what? <laughs> you want any black tar heroin? No, I'm good. I don't need that. That's not a temptation for me. Thank you very much. That's not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I saw that coming. Right? But, but I do have blind spots in my life. And, and God has designed the church to get our backs. So, so it makes me think of a movie. Now, I'm not recommending this movie. Yeah, I kind of am, but it's rated R. Uh, it's uh, Gladiator. It's a Maximus, played by Russell Crowe. There's a scene he was a leader of the Roman forces, and somehow he gets enslaved, and, and he's got to fight in, in the gladiatorial games, and, but he's well-trained. And so at this point in the scene, uh, the, 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 all the other slaves that have to fight these trained soldiers that are going to come out on chariots and horseback with arrows and all this, they're, they're about to come out, and, and Russell, or, or Maximus rather, says this. He says, uh, any of you been in the army? And some of them start to grumble, and he says this. It's a beautiful picture of what Peter and Hebrews is getting at. He says, whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? He says, if we stay together, we survive. And so the gates open up and, and the crowd roars and, and the chariots roll out and, and there is, uh, there, there is um, 
arrows flying in, and he says, he starts shouting, as one, as one, and they, they tighten up the ranks, and they put out their shields, and, and a few of them don't, don't agree with that plan, and so they go off on their own, and, and in a very bloody, gory way, they are taken out almost immediately, uh, but they're fighting as one, and then as one, they move as one, and, and you know the story, they eventually overcome, they survive. It's a picture of what Peter and Hebrews is telling us. We will survive, we will perse- per- persevere, together, but not on our own. That's why we often say here, Christianity is deeply, deeply personal, but it's never meant to be private. You cannot survive on your own. And so what do we do? This is not church membership drive. Uh, it's not, you may be visiting. My, my appeal to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to double down on your commitment to the local church, wherever it is. Don't, don't be a floater. Don't, don't just, by the way, the church is not about you. So, so don't look at it through your lens of your preferences. It's about Jesus. And, and find a church that exalts Jesus, that encourages you, that, that people can be in your actual lives. Does anyone in your life know how you spend your money? Does anyone in your life know what, what your shortcomings are, what your, your temptations are? Does anyone in your life know? Because we all need uh, accountability, belonging, and care. That there is a moment where you're going to need to be accountable. When, when, when things go south at work or a relationship inappropriate starts to get developed, if you don't already have accountability in place, it's too late. There's, there's going to be times where we need a place to belong. There's going to be times where we're hurting. We're going to need to be cared for. And if you haven't done the work to invest yourself in the local church and you need it in that moment, it's too late. And so we just want to appeal to you, find a church, whether it's here or, or many of the other great local churches that are exalting Jesus in the area, but double down, commit, don't float. Be committed, resist the, the lie of our age, the idol of American Christianity, the autonomous self. I get to decide what I want for me and for my family. It's all about me. Because not, not long ago, pastors found that if we just kind of go with the the cultural air, and appeal to this overemphasized individualistic consumerism, we can actually fill a room. And many pastors and many churches are okay with that. And it's a tragedy. It doesn't take much to feel, fill a place, right? I mean, when COVID releases and, and opens up, the, the, the Bronco Stadium will be sold out, and it's a terrible product right now. Same thing with a lot of churches. And so, I'm not saying you can't have your style and preference and all that, but listen, it's, you, you've got to find a place where they are exalting Jesus, where they're going to hold you accountable. It's for your protection. Church discipline, when, 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 when people call you out, when we exhort one another, when, when it gets exercised, it's for your protection. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians 5. Like, we exercise this because we want people to flourish. We want them to be United in Christ, we want them to be protected from the devil that prowls about. Now, you could say, well, I don't believe any of that. That's fine. Your argument is not with me. It's with Scripture. And Peter shows us that this is true. In fact, if you study church history, these churches that these letters are written to not only survive, but they thrive in these regions for the next several hundred years. This is in spite of the fact that 
In just a few years after Peter writes this, in 66 AD, Nero's going to burn down Rome and blame it on the Christians, and a massive persecution is going to bust, bust out. And, and the greatest empire the world has ever seen is going to put all of its force and all of its might to extinguish the Christians. But together, they endure. Together, they survive. You can go, when, when COVID opens it up again, you can go to Rome and you can pay your 15 euros and, and go into the Colosseum and, and you can look at the place where our brothers and sisters were fed to lions, were thrown to gladiators. You can look up on the, the edge of the, the stadium and see where they were dipped in tar and lit on fire alive to light their games all in an attempt to destroy the church. But the church survives. The church has always survived. But we should not presume upon our survival only insofar as we give ourselves to what God has promised us. His means for our survival is one another. Together we endure. And so at the end of this letter, Peter has one, actually two verses that are, are meant to be a, a tremendous encouragement to them and to you and to me if we get this and wrap our lives around it. Verse 10 it says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And these brothers and sisters believed that, and he did. He restored them. He confirmed them. He strengthened them. He established them together. And then he says one more thing, and this is not a throwaway verse. It says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's not a throwaway verse. Think about this. These Christians under persecution, who Caesar is worshipped as a god, Peter says, oh, oh, Caesar's not God. Nero does not have dominion. None of the Caesars have dominion. The Communist Chinese Party doesn't have dominion. Donald Trump didn't have dominion. Joe Biden does not have dominion. Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, they, they don't have dominion. All the forces of this world that would turn their might and force against the church does not have dominion. God is on his throne. He has dominion. He's in control. The little church with no political power, no strength, no military might, you can rest under his sovereign hand. So humble yourself so that the day will come where he will lift us up. And the only question that remains in First Peter is, what will happen with Redemption Parker? And I am convinced that if we understand this truth, that no matter what else happens outside these walls, that together we endure, that we commit to one another, that we pray for each other, that, that we encourage, we exhort, we're in each other's lives in a, in a, well, he says, in a daily way that together we will endure. And to that end, close out the series and pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the way that history has proven that your word is true. 2,000 years later, now we gather as a local body of believers called Redemption Parker. And we want to persevere in our faith. We want to enter into your gates and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servants. So Lord, help us to uh, just apply your means to that end.